This is Masks Off. I am Tia Fagan. And I'm Kim Gross. Who are you behind the masks you wear? We are here to have real conversations about how to live a more empowered and authentic life. So join us, remove your masks, live your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Masks Off. I am so super excited to be here today. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll notice that this looks very different. There are four of us here today. Yes, I said four. And if you're listening, um, you'll get to hear the voices of all of us. So we have with us Jen Zash, who has been on Masks Off before, and Carrie Jaroslow, who will also be having her own episode with us coming out in a few weeks. So stay tuned to hear that one as well. But we're so excited because Carrie and Jen have a book coming out. And I'm going to start by reading a quote from that book. And then we're going to hear all about it. And we're going to have an amazing conversation on conscious education, which I can't wait because I was a former high school teacher, as I mentioned, hate the education system, the traditional ones. I cannot wait for this conversation, but let me start with a quote. So when a child feels seen, heard, and understood by his or her caretaker, be it an educator or a parent, the magic of the dance otherwise known as attunement, takes flight. There is a level of connection between child and caretaker that becomes effortless, transcendent. Mm-hmm. That's Jen Zash from the book, mm-hmm. A New Paradigm of Education. A freaking new paradigm of education. <laughs> let's talk about it. Yes. Yes. Let's. Oh my goodness. So welcome, ladies. Oh my gosh. Thank you guys for having us. Do you want to just do a really quick synopsis of your background? We don't have to go into a big bio, but just like let our listeners know who you are, what you do, and like why you're so excited about talking about a new paradigm for education. You go first. Oh, I was just going to say it to you. Okay. (laughs) Hi again. I'm so honored and excited to be a part of Masks Off again. I just love the podcast. I love Tia and Kim and Conscious Parenting. And it so parallels um, a new paradigm of education. Uh, My background is I've been a school psychologist for about 20 years. And I'm a mom of two and a mindful mama, parent, coach, mastermind founder, where uh, we knock the traditional model of parenting and education on it, uh, you know what, uh, so that there is no hierarchy any longer. It is all about showing up for each other, be it child or parent or educator as equals. And as, uh, you know, as you eloquently stated in, in the quote, doing that dance of, of attunement. And uh, so I wear many hats, both in the private work that I do, as well as uh, an educator and a mom. So thank you for having me today. And that quote were your words. So as you eloquently stated. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You're pointing that out. I'm glad you pointed that out. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Carrie, 
Yeah, well, I am um, a best-selling author. I'm a relationship coach and an intuitive. Um, but I think the most important, I guess, label that I have right now is I'm a mom of two boys, um, 12 and 8, just turned 8. And um, I, you know... When I was in my 30s, I, I never really thought I would be a parent. I, I wasn't one of those people that grew up and just like wanted to be a parent. I was really focused on my um, evolution and my growth and my awakening because I just wanted to be a better person before I was responsible for anyone else. And so around the age of 36, I had this feeling, I, I think I really would like to you know, have children. And I was very blessed. I was able to have children. I had my first son at 38 and my second at 43. And um, I really wanted boys because I wanted to be a part of uh, raising conscious boys, conscious men, um, men who were okay to sit in their heart and, um, you know, and feel and express and just change the face of like what, you know, what humanity is. And I think a big part of that is in uh, that um, how masculinity has been, I guess, over the last, you know, however many hundred years. Um, and so uh, when my first son started to go to kindergarten, he was about to go to kindergarten, it was when the education part really got um, very strong for me. Um, I knew that public education in our, although the public school is very good, I just knew he was so spirited and I, and he was a talker. And, and, and so I had to find a way to help him be himself in edu and be educated. And so that's where kind of my interest in this area really took hold. Um, and we were very lucky that a little Montessori school opened in my town right as he was going into the first grade. And it has changed him really it I look at the two paths that he could have gone down and this little school gave him the love of learning mm -hmm. and accepted him for who he is just at the core of who he is he did he doesn't fit into a mold you know that's like just who he is and I love that about him but this school really met him where he was and so I just knew I wanted to be a part of this conversation mm -hmm. I love it that's beautiful oh I love that I love that you really have that interest in helping you know wanting boys and really trying to debunk the Mask of Masculinity which is the book by Lewis House right the Mask of Masculinity mm -hmm. Oh, it's so important. So important. It is, the, it is our future. I think it's really, it's our future. And I think the whole, you know, binary description is really starting to go away. I just don't have better words for it, but really that just divine feminine, divine masculine, the reception and the, you know, receiving and action and finding more of a balance. It's so needed. Definitely. Definitely. So to start off or actually really continue our conversation, we wanted to ask you, what would you, if you could wave that magic wand, what would conscious education look like for each of you? Like what would be the pillars? What would be the values? What, what's the important piece for each of you in conscious education as this paradigm shift begins to start to take hold and actually gain momentum? Carrie, why don't you kick it off this time? Well, I really feel blessed because I look to the school that my children are going to. 
it's for sure not perfect, but it is really a step in the right direction. So it's Montessori based, but they spend so much time outside. The, the vision of the school was to be downtown in our little town and we're a trail town. So we're on the Mount Sissi Trail. And so they are on the trail and they're bringing in, you know, science on the trail and history and math. And they are allowed to, there's mindfulness, you know, this, these important um, aspects that allow them to be children. And I think that's just a huge part, allow play to come into the idea of learning. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, they have a garden, they're learning about nature. So, but at the same time, they're not against technology. So it's, it brings all of the aspects of, but I feel like traditional education is forgetting that children are children and they're expecting so much of them at such an early age. And um, this is very student led, this the way that they educate. So for example, my youngest, I mean, my oldest son was having real trouble with math. He just, he's the kind of kid that like, he will resist something and then all of a sudden he figures it out and boom, he like catapults ahead. And he was having that with math. And really they allowed him to be where he was until there was a point where the kids, other kids were really far ahead, ahead of him. And this teacher came to me and said, um, just so you know, this is where he is. And we just need a little bit of help to just kind of like gently, but maybe a little bit more firmly push him forward. And we were able to do that. And then again, he just took off with it, but it allowed him to be where he was for an important amount of time. So he wasn't pushed, you know, it's that resistance. You have to learn this. Um, that really causes kids to hate learning. And I think above all, he just loves learning. He has fallen in love with learning because it's experiential, it's tangible. It's not all in the head on a piece of paper. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mean, Maria Montessori was so ahead of her time or actually probably not ahead of her time, just aware, right? It yeah. seems she was ahead of her time, but she just understood children. I mean, like how she even started her program in Italy and all of that. But I mean, when you were talking, it just, the, the classic quote from Dr. Montessori, follow the child. That's it. Mm -hmm. If yeah, education would follow the child, it's each like, individuals, yeah. they would, they, the love of learning wouldn't go away. And like you said, you know, this is where he's at with math. There's all these experiential tools to learn math in Montessori. And then the walks on the path, you bring in all the subjects organically in an area of interest that the child is choosing because we can mm -hmm. learn history, science, math, everything with any oh. topic you choose. Absolutely. It's life-changing. Life change because I see where he would have gone in kindergarten. So I remember in kindergarten, you know, I had like the cards, like we had to go over, like, oh, okay, yeah. we had to go over the 40 cards that you need to know the words for. And he hated it. He hated reading. He hated, hated, hated it, resisted it. When we went to the Montessori school, he was met where he was at. He was given books that he was interested in, not little like, you know, I just remember nothing wrong with this book, but Splat the Cat. God, he hated that book so much. <laughs> and um, and he was given, you know, a new one 
every single like week. And, um, and when he was a year into this Montessori school, he loved reading so much. He wrote his first book when he was eight years old Mm -hmm. and it was like a chapter book, you know, because he, he fell in love with reading because he was allowed to, you know, find it in his own way. Exactly. I mean, I don't know if you can see right there. It's a map of Australia. And then I have another one of South America that my daughters did in kindergarten right here. And the one of South America has next to each country, it has the country spelled out with their national flag hand-drawn. And then all the countries are, you know, so it's geography, it's spelling, it's, it brings everything in and it's fun. I mean, when they make maps, it's, it's play and focus and they stay in it because they choose the activity Mm -hmm. you know like he wanted to focus on reading at that point and writing a story it's not like oh no I'm sorry time's up you need to go study math now yes break the flow and when we're in flow state that's where the magic happens so he's been able to let his magic come up and out instead of stopping it I love that. It's so true. And it takes, I think it takes really special educators. I have so much respect for educators, but oh my gosh, yeah. because you, you don't have a plan, right? I mean, you do, you have a plan, but it's okay to go off of that. And it takes, you know, I'm a, I'm a director. I was a director in theater and it reminds me of that. It's like either I see where the actor is and help him to get, or her to get the best character out in their way, or I, heavy-handed and it never works that way so so I'm gonna before Jen you if I can just ask ask a quick question before you share I'm gonna ask the million dollar question because now I'm gonna go from being the previous educator and I was in high school and how do you logistically do what you're proposing when you're a high school teacher and you have 40 minutes with the kids and I don't know I know it's not this way in every single state in the country but it definitely is in New York where there are regents exams and regents diplomas. And we had so much pressure on us from the state to stick to the curriculum that there was no room for, you know, you could have a plan going off the plan. You had to stay within the plan and the lesson plan. And you had to teach to the test. Basically, you had to prepare your kids, even though like you were protected by tenure there is still this expectation for the educators to get a certain number of kids to pass. And, you know, even in middle school and elementary school, there were still state tests, not like it was in high school, but there still were. So, and that does, as you said, Carrie, it takes the love of learning right out. It just deflates it because there are certain things you have to learn. You have to teach this. And, you know, the kids, I would say, okay, we have to practice for the writing exam. And they're like, ah, you know, like, oh God, we have to do this. So how do you, how do you do that? That's the million dollar question. I'm so glad that you asked that. It's actually <laughs> right. And I, and I had it intuitively. I was, you know, cause knowing your background too. And when I first yes. um, was invited to this beautiful project of becoming a co-author with these educators and parents from around the globe with very different backgrounds, 
pronouns. And my children, the only ones who were in a, and myself having um, been a school psychologist in a very traditional model with Mm -hmm. the same pressures that you speak of. And which was why, you know, a month into my first year, 20 years ago, I said, oh my goodness, this is like my pat, which is why my other episode is called Fireflies and Mud Pies, because children, you know, I was like, children need to be children again and not play. And then, and having been a preschool teacher, and then for the last 14 years at high school, I really saw what you're talking about. So not only did they not get to be children and the joy just sucked right out of them, but also just the levels of anxiety and suicidal ideation. And then my heart would break for these teachers and parents who, uh, and administrators and everybody, but, but it's, it's such a beast education. And so I think, you know, I've, been very fortunate lately to be able to connect with like my Beyonce's in the world of education who I was like you know let me just reach out maybe though maybe and I now friends with them and Mm. even they feel very very defeated and uh, you know and the politics and, and this and that but what I've come to realize is number one like we are where we're supposed to be yeah. I could mm-hmm. cry because like I'm mm-hmm. learning that more and more every day. And when I first joined this group of authors, I thought like, this is not fair. You know, they all get to have their kids in world school or Montessori mm-hmm. school. And my ex-husband is not a proponent of Montessori school. And I, to be honest with you, my first um, just learning about it was, was really all wrong and was painted in this way of like, oh, they just play and they're going to be so behind everybody else. And so I think that a big part is meeting people where they're at. And we operate very often from a place of we all want to do our best as parents, as humans. I really believe that as educators. But we a lot of times come from a place of fear. And then we trust other people around us. Like I want to trust the doctors or I want to trust my accountant. And we can't know everything about every industry. So if we think as parents that these other parents who are seemingly doing well or educators who are seemingly doing well, but what does well mean? You know, it's, it's very confusing. So part of what I do to answer your question, like, what do you do if you're in this very toxic environment, well-intentioned and on paper, the best of the best, because we're every year, one of the best in the whole world by state test scores, you know, yeah. but, and, and with that, I also say, with all due respect, because the educators and the system in so many ways is amazing. They really are amazing. And I, again, I think their intentions are good, but they feel so helpless. And it's about empowerment for mm. our kids, for our parents, for our educators, for everybody to find ways to feel empowered. And we mm. let go of a lot of our power. And so one of the ways that I helped a lot of teachers in my school feel that sense of empowerment that they already own, but by giving them, um, helping them to get this manual, but there's many ways to do it called Calm Classroom. Fairly affordable, they could go on Amazon, and these exercises that they would present, it was a script Because I really do believe that our educators and parents first need to be able to take care of themselves. And we don't do that, even though we have that beautiful, you know, airplane oxygen metaphor. And I'm just as guilty. You know, I was so burnt out of the the pandemic hit and it woke me up. And um, and I'm still waking up, like... Mm -hmm crazy amount like levels every moment and it's beautiful and it's scaring and it's jarring and thank god for people like you but it's still a lot and if the pandemic didn't hit i probably i wouldn't have showed up for my whole life most likely and so like 
there's a way to, to implement these practices. So just in the example of Calm Classroom, these exercises are between 30 seconds and three minutes. Yeah. Or it doesn't even have to be that. It could be like the Calm app. And I have some of my teachers just playing that for a couple of minutes. And I tell them the research because they need to know it. And that's what I tell my administrators. And that's how I got even the most resistant, again, well-intentioned, but the most resistant naysayers is, I just want to show you the... the um, the research on mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And I want to show you how actually achievement scores go up and behavioral um, and disruptive behaviors diminish and how there's less anxiety. And all, I mean, the research is astounding. Mm -hmm. And so they, they, you just plant seeds. You can't, you know, you talk about resistance. We all have it. So I'm just, I've been planting seeds for 10 years and then you find your people and it is part doing that dance between like the grassroots effort, but then also having your big hitters, the Beyonce's in the world of education, or, you know, my mindfulness teacher, Corey Mascara, who also put in a beautiful testimony and, you know, he's Dr. Oz's mindfulness teacher. So that alone gives him some authority, right? And, and you are conscious parents under Dr. Shafali, who Oprah says was her best guest she's ever had. So that gives some authority. That's the world we live in. And even though I think we all view each other equally, whether it's Oprah or Dr. Dr. Oz or us or somebody in a jail cell who did something that we are, we all see each other, I think, as human beings at our core. Not everybody is at that place. And that's okay. We could resist it and we could be angry about it, or we can take a different stance that is one of unity, one of shared humanity, and one of like, let me hear your story so I can better understand where you're coming from. Because that's the only way to bridge those those gaps and to go from a whole mess to wholeness. And I just think that, um, I think we are headed in that direction. And when we were in the midst of like the shelter in place, I jumped off the couch one day and I'm like, kids to my own children, like, this is a rock bottom revolution. Like, this is amazing. And they're like, everyone's a disaster. What are you talking about? And then I drew it and I explained it and they were like, yes, mom, that's it. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I think that, um, you know, our representation that we have from the book too is so um, diverse. And so if, if I wasn't a part of it, because I, you know, have that lens in the traditional model, it's not like a, it's, it's, it's still a cause worth fighting for and still something that you can be empowered within. So my kids are still in a traditional model. Would I want them there? No, but the universe, this is why they're there. So that I can still tell parents and teachers and the, who they are with their principal and all that, like, here's, here's what can still be done. So my kids still have their homework and so many of the things that they do make me cringe day in and day out. But when they come home, they know my perspective Mm -hmm. and they have choice. They have a sense of agency and and free will, even though they're in that system. And so I want to invite everybody to try to do that dance, too, of like, yes, we have society and this is where we're at as a whole and, and 
but there are still things you can do in your home and, and within your classrooms. And it doesn't have to be anything so bad, but the teachers that did implement even using that calm classroom manual or playing it, they said it was so life altering and the resistant administrators and people who were the biggest naysayers came barging through my office. Like I'm ready to listen because all of the amazing feedback that they were getting from, not from what I was doing, because I was only seeing a handful of teachers and, and or kids rather um but the teachers get to really address so many more students and the students were then going home the parents were seeing the transformation in their kids with just 30 seconds to three minutes a day of a mindfulness activity and that's what was the best part of not only their day but of their whole high school career so Mm -hmm. it created such a buzz that then I was able to start, like, we, then we built a mindfulness library in our school. And then from that, I had weekly mindfulness, like, uh, homework, but it was fun, really, with a Zen calendar events that faculty mm-hmm. could come to. So every Tuesday, mindful, uh, on Mondays, we did, like, mindfulness. On Tuesday, we did Zen art. On Wednesdays, certain teachers that I didn't even know were into yoga would teach and invite faculty to. And the idea was, oh, let's amazing. first take care. It was. And it was like, you know, we, Oprah always says we teach what we need most. And it was my best year professionally because mm-hmm. I was teaching what I needed most too. Mm-hmm. And to be able to then give that to everybody else was like, you know, that ripple effect. So it doesn't have to be big or dramatic or anything more to do. It actually is less to do because then the kids are also available more for the learning and they end up doing better on the test and wanting to do the assignments, just knowing that then they have that, that permission um, and flexibility. Well, just I, to, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. What Tia. I love too is also like, you know, the paradigm right now, you know, they need the research, they need this, you know, and locally UW-Madison, they have the Center for Healthy Minds. And so they've been bringing mindfulness into some of the local school districts that are open. And so they're, you know, creating a wider base of that. But not just the kids who are experienced, I imagine the educators and the teachers are feeling more empowered and feeling better and connected to teaching again. And I'm not a teacher, but I would imagine based just on your story that it's like, feeling like hopeful again, feeling like, look, these little things can make change. And so while we still have to teach to the test, we're still under this structure, we can also find connection, we can also find that little piece back within you of that intrinsic drive and knowing versus 100% why they got in line exactly place that that feeling of having impact but that is within a way that feels so aligned because that's really a challenge and I'm sure you felt Kim that I felt too in pretty much everything that I've gone into professionally whether I was as an infant sleep trainer as a school psychologist just like wanting to be in alignment and yet I'm working in this place that there's so much that I don't believe in at my core that I know is is anything but good for yeah. creating, for maintaining children's health and, and happiness. Right. And so like, 
you know, then that guilt of stepping out and feeling like, okay, like now am I abandoning them? Mm -hmm. And, um, and I don't feel that anymore. I feel like now I can create bigger, more widespread, you know, with situations like this and opportunities. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's going to happen overnight. And I think some of it is going to happen as I'm learning from people like Carrie, you know, energetically that the more we take care of ourselves, the more we raise the vibration of humanity that had you told me that a couple of years ago, I would have been like, I'm so sleep deprived. I have no idea what you're talking about. But, like, but you sound like a really cool hippie that one day I want to hang out with. Like, that's what I would have thought. Sounds like a hippie. You know, and so am I. But I'm a hippie in like a, you know, high stakes school district where there is a ton of pressure. And so I am here always, even prior, even when I was in that, you know, toxic, what's the spiritual world state of, of just intuitively knowing and having at least that gift of play and free spirit and modeling that. So some of it is educating people on the research so that they feel like, okay, I don't need to come from this place from fear. Cause actually in the same place that, you know, Maria Montessori, birthed that model which is so beautiful that was also where homework was built and I mean developed I don't know if you know that but my son did this TED talk on where homework came from and that was Italy and it was first introduced as a form of punishment Mm -hmm. and so like and when you look at the research on homework it's like Mm -hmm. abysmal and and testing and all of it so like my goal is to you know, I wanted to just knock college board completely on its, you know, what and get rid of tests everywhere for everybody. But the reality is, is again, with that joining of humanity, it's like, okay, let me meet them where they're at. And so I was like Googling, who is the CEO of college board? And, you know, I'm going to meet him and, you know, <laughs> we'll find a way for them to make money teaching mindfulness. So they get their money and we get a healthier world. And that's you know, a great so it, manifestation. Put it out there. Let's do it together. Put so, it out there. Exactly. It, what yeah. I love yeah. too in in your description of working. Oh, we lost our video. There she's back. Sorry about of working, that. It's all good. Of working, you know, you're in the traditional high pressure school district that you work in and recognizing if we're going to resist and push back and hate all of it and do that, what is the energy behind that? It's not helpful. So rather than working against a system we don't like, how can we work with the system Mm. so we can all meet the common goals together with a different shift and it doesn't happen overnight and when people do the well it's not working I don't like it and I'm out and I'm going to try it here but then you're against again and so you're in this duality versus how can we come together and Mm -hmm. see the both and the and versus the either or the or and then there can be progress because each side is being heard and understood that Things can't change overnight in this world right now, the way it's set up and really in anything for the most part, it takes time and those little steps. And so bringing in those 30 second practices, it's doable. And it's not saying everything you're doing is wrong, even though you may not like it. It's saying, hey, you still do this. We still meet state standards. And let's just add this in and see what happens and be Mm -hmm. curious. And I mean, what is that teaching kids too? It's like, you don't have to fight you can meet each yeah. other where you're at. Yeah. And, and even in the languaging, even gratitude. So like, mm-hmm. you know, since I've been divorced, I've been shoveling the driveway. And it's always like me and all the dudes on the block. And when I first did it, it was the most amazing, empowering thing in the world. But like this past year, when the storm after storm, it was like, 
mm, you know, like the, the empowerment was a little bit less. And I, I thought about though, like my, you know, I'm fortunate to just have such a diverse array of friends and family and educators who I've been around. And I just, I always have thought about people who are struggling in a different way, who would give anything, you know, one of my dear friends, a quadriplegic, he would give anything to be able yeah. to, to shovel. And so I, I have to constantly remind myself, you know, like I get to do this. Yeah. And so even just that attitude with these state tests or doing these writing assignments that maybe they make me cringe, but if I at least view it from a place of, I still get to do it. And I think about people who would do anything for an education, like our book, you know, the, the donations to the Unstoppable Foundation to give these children an education that wouldn't otherwise have it. Right. So they would take anything. They would take the high stakes education in a heartbeat. And so I really, that gratitude piece is huge too. And also um, who we surround ourselves with. So even just hearing a podcast like this and having one person who like understands and feeling like there is another way and there is mm -hmm. someone who understands and I'm not alone. Nothing's wrong with me. Like that too can just change your life so dramatically. Mm -hmm. So just to piggyback um, on what you're saying about the research and the change. So my first introduction to Dr. Shafali was about like eight or nine years ago when I went to a conference in New York City and it was mindfulness in the classroom was the name of the conference. And so she was the keynote speaker. But in addition to that, they had um, a group of guys that founded the Holistic Life Foundation. Have you ever heard of it? No. no. So these three guys, they were from inner city Baltimore and they created the foundation, the Holistic Life Foundation. And they were working with an inner city school in Baltimore. I think it was high school. And basically what they did was, is they started by, it was like after school, they had, they were teaching kids yoga. They were doing yoga. They had a mindfulness room in the school building that mm -hmm. when there was um, conflict or fights going on amongst the kids, rather than like going right to suspension or, or, you know, reprimanding them, they yep. went to this mindfulness room. The mindfulness room was um, monitored by an adult, obviously. And they just taught them how to just breathe, how to get in touch with their emotions and to feel their emotions. And what they found in the research after doing this for a while is that there were less fights. Test scores did go up. They were, there was a lot more of caring back and forth and talking about emotions and, oh, I'm sorry, and that kind of thing. And just feeling so much calmer and so much more peace and able to focus and pay attention in the classroom because, you know, so I also taught in an inner city school and I taught the at-risk kids that were ready to drop out. And I can honestly tell you when they stepped foot into my classroom, the last thing on their minds was to study and learn how to write. Many of them had not had breakfast. Mm -hmm. Many of them, you know, one parent, the parent was maybe like screaming and yelling at him on the way. I had, when I was pregnant with my son, my 10th grade, one of my 10th grade students was also pregnant. And so, you know, there's all these things that were going on in their lives before they even stepped foot in my classroom. So like what they did in Maryland and Baltimore was to help these kids. They couldn't change the situation, but they could help them how to deal with those situations and give them tools 
mm-hmm. so that they could be better prepared to take in some of the learning. Mm-hmm. I thought that was beautiful. I was like, you know, first of all, I was so meant to be at that conference because A, it introduced me to Dr. Shafali, but B, it introduced me to the Holistic Life Foundation. And then I believe even one of our congressmen, Tim Ryan, yeah, right? He's oh, yeah. huge He's a- on board. Huge. So, and I, and he, I don't, he wasn't at that conference, but I ended up learning about him through the Holistic Life Foundation and this, they had the principles. He has a whole book too. A whole book. So, so there are stepping stones now, granted that was like eight years ago, nine years ago, but the hope is that that is a big seed that's planted and more and more districts will start to do that. And Mm -hmm. I'm also hopeful that as the, um, baby boomer teachers start to like retire and you have new young teachers coming in where maybe they are learning some of this in college as they're being prepared to be a teacher. This is more like in the curriculum because I can tell you, I mean, without saying all or nothing, right? Many of my colleagues, they, their tests were the same tests that they were handing out for 30 years. Like they had everything. They didn't create new curriculum. They didn't try to invent anything new or fresh. They were just doing their time until they could retire and they couldn't Mm. get fired because they had tenure. So they, they knew they could just show up in the classroom and pass out the same work year after year after year. And that's not the way to teach. I'm sorry. You know what I mean? That doesn't help every student in that classroom and you have to be, you know, timely. So my hope is they'll start to retire and all the new ones coming in will be, you know, a little bit different. Carrie, you were going to say something. Well, I mean, you can say that in every paradigm of everything that's going on in the world, you know, I know. It's like, um, there, you know, I write uh, about the energetics. That's my chapter is about the energetics and, and, and you look at children children these days, right? Not only is their world completely different than what my world was growing up, but energetically they are different. And education has not changed to support that aspect. Like I just look at, um, just for example, like all the arts, right? Music, publishing, acting kids have figured out a way they're like you know what I'm not going to wait for a big music producer to find me I'm going to make my music and put it on YouTube and I'm going to have billions of views and I'm going to make a lot of money and I don't need you okay so that happens in every aspect the children are creative they're creative and they are capable of so much more. So, you know, when, when they get into the education, there's that, that disharmony between their visions, even those who really struggle in a survival, like you were talking about, like, will I be able to get through this day and get any food like that? They are figuring out because there's so much more available to them. So when you look at these big paradigms, I love what all of you are saying is it's the little steps, right? The little tangible things that we can do to start 
infiltrating the systems. I think that's how these are going to shift is from the inside out. Not like it's not going to be just a like swipe like you would, you know, um, you know, like uh, bowling pins, you know, and boom, we're done with that paradigm. And now we're just going to build something new. It's just not going to happen that way. And yet it's, it's all of these little, like what you all are doing, um, what this book is doing, what um, all of those, you know, foundations and systems, they're coming in and they're, they're just, you know, introducing these little things and starting to make those shifts. And I get like, it seems overwhelming, right? Anytime you start to tackle something really this huge, it is overwhelming, but I'll say energetically, it's happening in every, every paradigm of everything. And really on the biggest level, it is like, we are going into a new paradigm of being, of being, of like who we are in this world. And so it's, you know, this is like, when I work with my clients and work with, um, you know, the, the, the areas, my main thing is relationships. It is that big shift and it starts with us. It just starts with us. And that's the only thing we really have control over is us and how we show up in the world. So it does seem overwhelming, but all the things that you all are talking about is exactly how these shifts. And, and at, at some point, there's going to be a tipping point. There's going to be a tipping point. I don't know when that is. I would love it to be sooner than later, but there is going to be a tipping point where things start seeming better than they are worse. I, I like to believe. I agree with you. And like you said, we can't change what we haven't already embodied. Mm-hmm. Right. Because otherwise we're out of integrity energetically. It's not going to work. So we have to shift within and how we can support kids to shift within or not even that, you know, some kids need to start reconnecting, but help the little ones who are already connected to themselves and already are energetically in alignment, not lose that disconnect as much as we have created in previous generations, because if they don't, you know, there's going to be conditioning with all the cultural aspects, right? But if we can keep that line as clear and connected as much as we can. And education plays such a huge part of that disconnect because they're in school eight hours a day. I mean, it's one of the biggest influences outside their family of who that child believes they are. Mm -hmm. And are they going to believe they are what the teacher tells them to because they made a mistake? Or are they going to believe that, you know what, that's an opportunity for me to connect and learn and grow. And then coming back to what Kim was saying too, if they're dysregulated, no one can learn when we're dysregulated. So how do we get regulated? All those, the mindfulness room that you talked about, getting them back in line so their thinking brain, that frontal cortex can think again because it can't think if they're hungry. It can't think if all they're thinking about is what am I going to go home to tonight? Or what is this? Oh, I have class with this teacher who hates me. You know, the story that they're telling versus, hey, they see me. It's like, Jen, in your, in your section, you know, kids need to be seen and heard and, you know, reading what happened to that young man in your office, he felt seen and heard. And so he could regulate and start to believe in himself again, because you shone a light on who he was, not who what others and circumstances told him he was. And it's just beautiful. 
There's so much earth, like earth shaking truth to that because the adults that I work with and the trauma that that I'm working with them to heal is really from that not being seen, not being heard, not feeling loved. And so like it's just so multi-layered that the parents who were never heard and seen and loved are just by, you know, the unconsciously that's that's being passed down to their kids and so like really as humanity seeing like you know seeing them on that level and saying I see you and I hear you and it's really painful and I I I hear you like they just want to be heard I was just gonna say it as we wrap up um and then we'll let you talk about the book for sure um, for a moment, but I was just going to say every, I think every educator, new educator should be learning about Gabor Mate. Like that should be in the curriculum because they need to yes. understand about trauma when the kids come in their classroom, you know, and they can deal with their own trauma, number one, but you know, he does talk about trauma as being really when the child is disconnected from self, that's the true trauma. And, mm-hmm. and as teachers, and we're not doing it consciously or on purpose, but as parents and teachers, we just keep reinforcing that trauma. We don't see them. You know, we don't hear them. We don't understand them. And so, cause they don't have that. They don't see because they don't have, right. That. It's, it's, they we don't, don't know what we don't know. Exactly. I mean, yeah. and it's, you know, it's the, um, why I can't grab his name off the top of my head, but the book that, um, Oprah and him just released, you know, what happened oh, to yeah. you, it's not mm-hmm. what's wrong with you. What happens right. to you? And it doesn't yeah. have to be the big major events that we think of trauma. It's if not. you're not seen and your feelings are, if you have a t- get angry and you can't have those bad feelings, that happened to you because you disconnected yeah. and you're wrong for having big feelings. And we can't mm-hmm. handle that. So you better shove that down and you disconnect from self. You know, yeah, so it can be little things versus yeah. it's not just big events like you were talking about Kim it can also be oh my god yeah I had that I had that experience when I was 13 and I was in the car with my dad and my parents divorce and I just was really upset and I was like I will never you know accept the woman he was with and he's like never is a long time that was the Mm -hmm. one thing he said that shut down my voice for 30 years Totally. That was like that one little statement. Yeah. And he didn't mean it. He just didn't know how to deal with my big emotion. But you're right. It can yeah. be as small as mm-hmm. one thing said to you that just hit you in a certain way. Right. I think it exactly. almost always is. It is mm-hmm. that one moment, that one person, that one teacher, that one parent, that one friend that sticks, you know, that exactly. stickability for that negativity bias. And there is the shame that comes with that. And that's why I love Brene Brown's book. And for yeah. any educator who's listening besides our book, of course, to <laughs> a new paradigm, but Definitely. Brene Brown is phenomenal. And mm-hmm. she has an entire, uh, on her website, Daring Classrooms, where, you know, shame mm. cannot survive when it's spoken about. And, and, and it's the shame that really quiets our voice. And without our voice, we cannot show up for our lives authentically and take those masks off. And so her work is just so beautiful and her TED talk. And so whether it's with my students or educators, you know, that's a, a great place to start, I think, for a lot of people. And she has so many wonderful resources there as well for teachers. Definitely. Yeah. And I love that you said it's, it's just that one moment, that one educator, that one this, and then it sticks and that becomes the narrative. 
Right. That continues how people show up. Like, you know, Carrie, Mm -hmm. you lost your voice for 30 years because of that, because you attached to that and it's, it just happens. So how do we start to unwind that, you know, through all of these little steps? It's not like a light switch. We don't turn it on and off and it's magic and it's done. No, it's, we slowly start to shift inside out. So this beautiful. has been an absolutely amazing and valuable conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that we got together again to do this. And, uh, it, you know, it's on the precipice of your book coming out. So, so tell us the name of the book again and tell us a little bit about that. And then, you know, we'll see how you can wrap it up. Sure. Yeah. So where... I mean, we know the name of the book, but I want you both to say it again. So it's said over and over and over. So people remember it and it'll be in the show notes. And then where can they get it? How can they find you? All of that beautiful stuff, steps. Maybe if there's one thing you could suggest to someone listening that they could do, you know, read your book, obviously, number one. And then what's one of those little steps they can take to start creating the shift that we're talking about? Yeah, the book is A New Paradigm of Education. And, um, it is, it is stories, uh, with, because I think that people really learn from storytelling. So there's a story element to it. And then the tips that we have, um, each are very different. We all come from very different backgrounds. Um, my chapter is about creating an NQ, ENQ education. So we have IQ, we have EQ. This is more of an energetic um, um, education. Um, And that's cultivating the children's intuition, teaching them how to go within, um, and uh, teaching them the power of their thoughts and words and how to create their reality, that they actually can do that with their thoughts. The one tip that I would bring in is gratitude is really that is that is one of the biggest and easiest and smallest ways to um, start shifting thoughts is through gratitude. Even if I'm just grateful to sit here and hold this pen because I love the color of this pen I and that. I just really love the color of this pen. It's like even that and just repeating that over and over and over again is um, really helps to begin to shift from everything that's wrong to maybe the just little things that feel good. What I love is when you said, and I love this color of this pen, you said it once, kind of like a teaching, and then you like looked at it and was like, I love this color of this pen. So you energetically shifted right now and that's the beauty and the mm-hmm. power. So you just demonstrated that beautifully. Oh, perfect. Awesome. Yeah, Jen? Yeah. So my chapter is about, well, you read the quote and it is about doing that dance and about attunement and connection. And, but to connect with others, I think we do need to connect with ourselves and our authentic selves. And I think a way that any teacher and parent and stranger on the street can do that is by creating a space to hear somebody's story. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, you have to earn that. And that means coming in with an open heart and non-judgment, true compassion and 
and understanding that we are all just human beings and we are all imperfectly perfect and perfect, you know, you know what I mean, right? And Mm -hmm. doing the best we can. And if we're not, if we're not looking like we're doing the best we can, we're probably hurting the most Mm -hmm. and probably have the most trauma. So then give them even more love. And, you know, and with that, though, also protecting yourself energetically too. And so doing that dance as well. but I recently had this thought about a, a dream contract that every teacher and every parent can sign and it will um, sign it with your child or your students and it allows them to have this dream journey that you're not going to try to take anything away because I have yet to find one person who doesn't have that moment of that person, at least one, that really takes their voice away, you know, mm-hmm. for their whole life for 30 years. And if, you know... We, I think, again, with the best of intentions and parents and students, like teachers wanting the best for their kids, my own mom, very well-intentioned, but, you know, you can't be a singer, you can't be a hairdresser, you know, like, and why not? Why, you know, she didn't have to encourage, I think parents are like, oh, we want you to have a salary and a successful, but like, you can just create a space and listen, you don't have to do anything, but just be a supporter of big dreams. You know, you see mm-hmm. the tapestry dream, just be a supporter of others' dreams and their hearts. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do anything. Just give them Love your that. full heart and presence. You know, put your phone away with whoever you're with and be fully present like nothing else is happening in the world. That's the best gift I think you can mm-hmm. ever give anyone because then they feel like they really matter to you. That is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And both of you ladies are just beautiful. Your light just shines so bright. Mm-hmm. I just am so... Like I could listen to the two of you talk all day if we had all day to talk. So I'm so glad you were both on. Honestly, I truly, Mm -hmm. truly, truly believe that. Um, And so did we let listeners know where they can find you or find the book? How can they do that? Besides, we will have everything in the show notes. It'll be on Amazon. Um, yeah. They can they can just go to a new paradigm of education, and uh, you'll see in the links, like you said, the names of our names as well as the other six authors. So they'll be able to purchase it on Amazon, and proceeds will go to the Unstoppable Foundation and another foundation for children who otherwise would not have this access to education. Mm-hmm. So it's beautiful in that way too. Mm-hmm. Get that keeps on giving. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you wanted to contact me and get in touch, I can my website. It's jenzash.com. Uh, yeah, and mine's com. And um, I think this is just, you know, the middle of the conversation. Mm-hmm. People are having it. We're putting our voice in, but we want to be having this conversation because there is no way one person or eight people can do this. We need, you know, global, uh, lots of people that will help to tip this to uh, the new paradigm. So join in the conversation. Oh, thank you so much for, you know, taking the reins, creating this book, sharing your stories, talking with us, because every little step is making that shift in the paradigm in education. And we're grateful to be walking alongside both of you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for what you do as well. You really help this conversation as well. So thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. So so we'll have everything in the show notes and the book is available now. It just came out. Well, we're recording this right before it comes out. This episode goes live next week. So the book is available. Go get your copy today. Support it. Read it. 
buy extras, maybe give it to your school's administrator or your favorite teacher or school counselor, you know, spread the word by all means, do your part, right? Because it takes all of us, every little step. So thank you everyone for joining us today. And we're so grateful for all the work everyone is doing here. So have a great day, everybody. Take care. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Masks Off. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit subscribe and share with friends and family. Check out the show notes for how to contact us. Remove your masks. Live your life. See you next time on Masks Off.